Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thanksgiving in any language. And I can see, it seems like there's a few more people in here. Last week, I gave you just a little love in any language. I feel like more people came because you liked. Just thank you for humoring me with those giggles. Thanksgiving in any language. This series, where it's just a three-part series as we walk through this beginning part of November. Exploring the word Thanksgiving as it is, is spelled out uh, literally in the Hebrew in the Aramaic and in the Greek language. And last week we talked about as we engaged in the Holy Rite, the Holy Sacrament of Communion or the Lord's Supper or what we talked about, which was Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. In the Greek language, we see that. In uh, Aramaic, we see Thanksgiving as well. In fact, the word is one that you've probably heard or maybe even said, and it's one that's said typically uh, kind of with a, with a threefold repetition. The word is yada. Anybody heard the word yada before? Probably not in its single form. You've probably heard yada, 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 right? Okay, a few of you. It's interesting to think about this word and what it represents and what it means in the means of, of the, the Aramaic language as it refers specifically more than just saying thank you, but also includes action. Often includes sacrifice, includes something more of us as believers or as individuals who follow God than just simply saying thanks for the food, thanks for the gas, thanks for the things that you provided me, and then we move on about our day. Christmas, in, in a lot of cases, has tradition. In fact, in most, uh, on most calendars, most families, it was statistically said that Christmas has the most traditions, the most actions that we have. It's followed by birthdays, and then there's also some other traditions uh, that's kind of a, a mix if you look at statistics. But Thanksgiving has the, the I would not say the least amount, but the most uh, repetitive as far as families, which means that most families get together, they have a large meal, they either watch football or they, does anybody else do anything besides football? I don't even know. Okay, so in any event, they get together, right? Families get together and they have a meal. And with that, we see the tradition of action. These are the actions that are taken, the things that we step into, the things that we engage in. It's not simply a moment of coming together and saying thank you. While some of you might have the tradition of sitting around the table and, and sharing, here's what I'm thankful for over the course of the last year, some things that God has done in my life, some things that our family can be thankful for, that, that does happen. In fact, I've engaged in those conversations as well, and that can be a, a really powerful time to be able to hear from your other friends and family members, here's what, what I'm thankful for, and be able to see how God has moved, maybe in ways that you may have either forgotten or not known about throughout the year. But Thanksgiving, yada, takes action. And that action or tradition as we look at today is more than simply just the routine or the rhythm of walking through it, but it's so much deeper. We're going to look at the, the, the journey, uh, part of the journey of Daniel. 
Daniel is actually uh, a, a, a Hebrew. Um, he's faithful, and he is actually a Hebrew living in an occupied territory. The, 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 uh, the, the realm that he lives in is, is basically his home, but it's been taken over. And because of his work ethic, because of his attitude, because of, of, of really the faithfulness that he has in God, but the way that he works in all ways to glorify God and does so in a, in a positive, beneficial way. He has been promoted uh, up and up and up, and he's finally promoted to a role where he really has a lot of say in what would be considered this foreign government that has overtaken his people. Daniel chapter 6 is somewhat of a famous chapter about his life. Most of us have probably heard about Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe you read about it in, uh, in, a, in a, uh, a, a children's Bible where they talk about Daniel going and how God provided a way and, 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 and saved him. Maybe you saw it, uh, you know, depicted in, in video or maybe you read it in, in the text that you have before you. We're going to read through this today and we're going to look at it with different eyes. We're going to look at it with more intent eyes of understanding how thanksgiving, the action of thanksgiving, simply in a lot of ways will be counterintuitive opposite of what we would expect to get or to have or to receive in, and I'll say this here, and I'm not knocking on our country, I love our country, but in an American ideal. An American ideal says, I'm thankful for the things I have, the tangible things I have, and, 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 and you, in a lot of ways, the prosperity that I have, and what Daniel lived out was quite the opposite. His thanksgiving brought forth the opposite. So living out Thanksgiving, we'll start in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, which is a good place to start. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So get this, all 120 satraps, these are the ones he's appointed to these roles. There's three people that are overlooking them, and one of them is Daniel. One of them is this foreigner. One of them is this man who, for any other reason or whatever reason, should be out working the fields or building or constructing something for Darius. But instead, he gets to be in this administrative role overseeing the highest of the highs. The satraps were, ma- the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So it wasn't just, hey, we're, you're going to be one of the three. Instead, you're going to be over all. You're going to be over my 120 satraps or my comptrollers, the ones that make sure that we don't lose anything, and you're going to rule over the other two as well. And so this, this role of advancement, uh, obviously, as, as we might note, uh, is one that's going to be noticed by the two that used to be peers that are now going to be subservient to Daniel. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. In his conduct of of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So they looked for ways that they could say, okay, here's a place where he's cut corners, a place where he's maybe skimmed a little off the top, a place where he's done his own, uh, taken his own. And they found that, you know what, this guy's honest. What are we going to do? How are we going to get rid of him? And so they, they went about deciding to devise a new plan. They, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither, he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor neglectant. Finally, these men said, we will find, we will never find any basis for charges against him, against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Recognizing that his top priority was that of praising his God. 
So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. So they're buttering up the king. They're saying, hey, look, we praise you. We think you're the best. We think that you are, are, are everything. May you live forever. And at this point, he's starting to probably get kind of a puffed up chest. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, the head's getting a little bit bigger. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And here they come up with this plan, recognizing and knowing that they don't care because they don't serve any real gods. So instead, the lowercase gods, if they get praised, hey, you know what? Or the gods that they consider not to be King Darius, you know what? They'll be punished. And they knew they had no integrity, so it didn't matter to them. But it would matter to the one they were trying to eliminate. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the decree in writing. So here is the first step of this journey. Here is the setup. These men saw that Daniel was, was in favor, or he was, that the, the King Darius was finding favor over Daniel, that he was going to be elevated to this place. And because of the fact that they were going to lose, they were going to be, they were going to have to take orders from this guy because of whatever reason. Maybe it was just because, hey, he's so good. We don't really, we're, we're kind of jealous of him. Whatever it might be, they just, they devised a plan that would eliminate him. Now, verse 7 says that through this, this, uh, this life and the administration of his duties, Daniel proved himself to be above reproach. Not just was he in, had a good integrity, but, or uh, did a good job, but he also had good integrity. He was a man of personal holiness. He lived a life that was honorable and pleasing to the God that he served. And they recognized that that was the, that was the way they were going to have to get to him. Right? They were going to have to use this good, this praise, this thanksgiving that Daniel always offered through his life, through his words, through his actions as a way of trying to d destroy him, to tear him down. So they conspired together and they lied that all the loyal administrators, which is obviously a lie because Daniel was the, the head of the royal administrators and he didn't even know anything about this. He was totally unaware of it. But they came together and they lied and said, King Darius, look, we've all got together. We've decided this is the, what we should do. We just need you to put it into action. You are so great. And he said, sure, yeah, that sounds good. Not even thinking, hey, this might hurt some of my staff, some of my people. And so the, the first step we see here is that Daniel was upright and righteous. Daniel was upright and righteous. That's how we arrive on the scene. That's how we arrive at the place of starting this chapter or this, this specific part of the historical account. We arrive in a place of recognizing that Daniel was upright and righteous. And right there, we should look at it and recognize or think, oh, well, if he's upright and righteous, then it's, a, it's happily ever after, right? He's done everything right. He's followed God. So everything's just going to work out for him. Everything's going to be perfect. Well, as we saw as the, the passage continues, the next thing is this. Daniel's co-workers were jealous of him. And they laid a trap to attempt to eliminate him. Now get this, going into the lion's den wasn't like, hey, you're going to go in there and you're going to get scared. Or we give you some kind of a weapon, you'll try to fight your way out. No, that was a death sentence. And so if anyone were to be thrown into the lion's den, which later gets called, uh, for, for our purposes, gets called Daniel's lion's den, right? When, whoever gets thrown into the lion's den is going to die. 
In fact, in some cases, when they were thrown into the den, depending upon what it might have looked like, their legs would have been broken upon impact, and they wouldn't even have been able to fight off the lion because they would have been rendered kind of, you know, stuck where they were at in pain. And so God even protected him upon impact. He protected him upon the, the, the realm of, of jumping in. But don't let me get ahead of myself. Let me say this. The implication for this first part of the journey, the setup is living a life holy and pleasing to God does not guarantee prosperity. Living a life holy and pleasing to God does not guarantee prosperity. Now, that can be difficult to, to hear because obviously no one wants to, to live a life that, that where they're being always torn down or where they're always a target. Let me just say this. As a believer, we are always a target. As a believer, as Scripture says, that while Jesus was persecuted, we will be as well. In Mark chapter 10, uh, in verse 17, Jesus is having a conversation with this rich man. And, and the way that it goes is like this, is, and starting in verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to live in eternity with you, with, with God the Father? And Jesus as he often does, responds with a question to start off his, his response. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And here we see, obviously, we know that Daniel actually followed these. But this man, as he hears these things, well, yeah, that's good. That's good. He's checking the boxes. And then in verse 20, it says, he even responds. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've done all these things. I've always been part of these things. Daniel could check the same boxes. I have checked every single one of these. And Jesus' response to the wise or to the, to the rich young ruler is this. Jesus looked at him and loved him which is crucial to note to begin with. The first thing Jesus does in response as, as this man talks about his righteousness is that he loves him. He looked at him and he loved him. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And here we see not really probably what the, the man wanted to hear, Perhaps he wanted just Jesus to pat him on the back and say, what you're doing is good enough. Great job. Wonderful. That's great. But instead, Jesus asked for something greater. He asked not necessarily for the, for the funds, for the things that the man has. He doesn't ask for him to give them away. What he asked for is to say, okay, to take those things off of the throne of your heart and allow me, allow Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart, meaning let me be your savior, your top priority, your high value, not these things. And as soon as you can let go of these things that you're grasping onto and hold on to me, that's when you receive eternal life. But instead, the man's response, and actually in verse 22, it says this, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. The implication, the implication that we, we, we simply just stated was living a life holy and pleasing to God does not guarantee prosperity. And the sad thing is, in a lot of ways, following Christ does not always bring earthly wealth and prosperity. But, but don't stop there. What it does bring is real and lasting eternal life. 
When you follow Jesus, you may not be a rich person by the world's standards, by the earth's standard, by the, the people around you, but what you will have is so much greater than material value. Because it is literally the only thing that matters when you pass from this life. And this may seem elementary, but it's, it's probably a reminder that many of us who, who have aspirations to work hard and to do good, we, we need to hear this because in this we recognize the fact that while we work hard, we do so for God. And, and that, that's what we should do. That's what Daniel even represents. But at the same time, we don't work hard so that we can gain something for our storehouse. Instead, we work hard so that we might be a vessel to be able to share the truth and grow closer to our God ourselves. Following Christ may not always bring earthly wealth and prosperity here, but it will in heaven. And so the setup has taken place, and now the obedience and the fallout will, will, uh, will, will, um, will follow. In verse 10 of, of chapter uh, 6 in Daniel, we're jumping back to Daniel again, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and he hid in his closet and he prayed to his God. No, that is not correct. In fact, don't, don't uh, clip that out and put it anywhere online. That's, that's not actually what happened. In fact, it says this. Now, when Daniel heard that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Get this. Daniel knew the decree that he would be thrown in the lion's den should he praise any other god besides Darius. And instead of hiding, he did. Uh, he went upstairs and he went in front of the window where anybody could see. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just, this is my favorite, just as he had done before. So this wasn't some kind of uh, antagonizing move where he thought, you know what? Well, if you're going to tell me I can't do it, I'm going to go and I'm going to go where everybody can see me. No, this is just the common practice that he as a devout believer did. And it wasn't any kind of earthly decree or any kind of trap that was set that was going to keep him from continuing to thank his God. This word thanks here is, is, is actually pretty important. If you look at it specifically, it goes far beyond, especially this action, far beyond just him kneeling and saying, thank you, God, for my meal. Thank you for the things I have. That just as I had done before would recognize the fact that he was devout, that he continued to do these things. He did so in prayer and recognizing the fact that his posturing was one where he kneeled down. He got down on his knees, which was a physical and, 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 in a, and a, a spiritual posturing of getting down before God and saying, you are God and I am not. A word study on this would, would also indicate the fact that this was a hand to God moment. It was, it was Daniel reaching out to God, embracing God in a deeper way than just words, something that cannot be explained in English or even in Aramaic in this way. It was a touch that was spiritual beyond just a physical hand, but it was, it was, it was, it was spirit to spirit. It was him stepping forward and having this deeper relationship with God far beyond simply just saying a prayer. Thanksgiving requires more than just praise to God. Thanksgiving requires the hard things, doing the right things, even in the face of adversity. Verse 10 says he, he, he kneeled down before Jerusalem. He kneeled, kneeled, kneeled down three times. He did so before Jerusalem. In, in 2 Chronicles 6, 38 and 39, it says, And if they turn back to you with all their hearts and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken... 
and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built for you in their name, then from heaven your dwelling place. Hear this prayer and these pleas and uphold this cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. This is a call. This is a a drive for the people to continue to remember how they were delivered, how God had given them life, how God had given them new life in a world where all they knew before was bondage in Egypt. And so he was reflecting back to how God had provided in the past. Now he continues to provide in the present. Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and hear my voice. Three times a day, three moments a day where he would pause, where they would pause and say, God, that's really in essence where praying before a meal came from was a reminder to continue. It wasn't just let's pray for this food and and help, you know, this McDonald's somehow transform into being something that's good for me, right? That wasn't the prayer that was prayed then. That was a joke. I'm sorry about that. But that wasn't necessarily the case for that. But instead, it was a reminder here are three times during the day to continue to pray and thank God for the way that he provides. Thanksgiving requires doing the hard thing, doing the right thing. As the verse continues, or as this passage continues, says, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And I'm sure that they were kind of walking in with the book or the scroll and saying, hey, you know what? Didn't you say, oh, I just happened to have it right here. Isn't that your signature that says no one can do this? Well, look over there out your window. You see there's Daniel right there. He's praying and I don't think he's praying to you. He's praying out there to another God. So what are we going to do about it? And they kind of called him on like, here's what's going to have to happen, right? So looking at this, the obedience, Daniel praised God with thanksgiving. He praised God with his words, with his sacrifice that he could lose, literally lose it all, his life included. Daniel praised God with his thanksgiving. And then the response came specifically from these individuals who had it in for him. Daniel was unjustly sentenced to death. He was unjustly sentenced to death. To death. I'll jump back to the passage, but you can leave the point on the screen. It says, The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Meaning, my hands are tied. I can't even undo this, even though I love Daniel, and I don't want this to happen. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, uh, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until the sundown to save him. So if you were to pause at the beginning of that verse, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Most of you pause there, you'd think, man, he's probably pretty mad. Can't believe Daniel would still praise another God, even though I told him he wasn't allowed to do that. But instead, when you read on, you see the fact that he loves Daniel. He doesn't even want this to happen. He says he was determined to rescue Daniel. Trying to find every little loophole. Well, I didn't cross the T on my name. Well, there is no T in my name. My name's Darius. So what am I going to do here? Right? I, I, can't, I can't get him out of this. This decree is in place. So I'm just going to have to throw him in there. And hopefully, maybe the God that he's praising, maybe that God will save him. I've heard good things about him. He's got a pretty good Yelp review. Maybe, maybe this God is going to... Let's make sure you're awake. You're here. Okay. 
Maybe this God's going to save him. And the implication is this. Thanksgiving requires obedience to God and may cost us dearly. Thanksgiving requires obedience to God and may cost us dearly. It may cost you or cost me the things that we hold closest. It may cost us the things that God has, has granted us and blessed us with as stewards for this life, whether it be you know, in relationship or, or a job or maybe, maybe it's, it's our home. It may cost us dearly. Last week, we were, we were blessed to have a couple of individuals from the church, a couple of leaders from the church to come up and to talk a little bit and to pray about and pray for the persecuted church. Those who are persecuted, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are, world who are persecuted, who would, be, who would be killed if they came into a room like we're sitting in right now. We have the freedom to come in and, and, to, and to worship in this place because of those veterans that we celebrated on Thursday, that we should celebrate every day, really. But we can come to this place and we can worship together. But think about for a moment those who literally have lost lives, have lost loved ones around the world throughout the course of history because they simply continued to praise God. They simply continued to, to either literally or figuratively go to the window in the midst of and in the face of, of adversity, in the face of, of facing death. And they still said, I believe in God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I thought about that many times this week, actually. I thought about those, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who lost their lives this very week simply because they love the same God that we sang about just not 20 minutes ago. And then I think about, well, if I were to lose our job or our home, is it that big a deal? This is a step further from the previous implication, the, the, the previous point. Following Christ doesn't always bring earthly wealth or, or prosperity, but it will in heaven. And I think that's the point that we need to simply dwell on. Often it could cost us everything here on earth, including our life, but think about it for a moment. Think about things in the context of, of, of eternity for just a moment. Perhaps you've seen the illustration of, of, a, of a rope and, and, and one small section of that rope represents here on earth and the rest of it, uh, the, the rope represents eternity, a, a rope that goes on forever, right? That, that's just this small section. But think about how important this small section is. The small section represents the time when we have an opportunity to engage in the life of others, an opportunity where we have an opportunity to be able to grow on our own, but an opportunity we have to say yes to God, to reveal thanksgiving through sacrifice and through our words and actions. And so we've gotten to this point in the, in the historical account where Daniel has been faithful. He has followed God. He has brought that into his work, into his job, into the palace. It was recognized by the, the, his peers, by his co-workers, and by what was going to be his subordinates. And so they attempted to try to lay a trap for him. And then he fell directly into that trap, not naively, but intentionally, because he loved God and he trusted God and God was faithful and he was faithful. And so as he moved through that specific instance, he then was, was, was granted uh, or was given this, this really death sentence. He was found guilty. And at this point in verse 17, it reads like this. Actually, I want to back up to 16 because I don't think I read it. it. says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. 
the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And it shouldn't say said, it should say screamed because this has an exclamation point. This was, this was his, his plea to a God that he didn't know. Right? He said it to Daniel, but at the same time, you have to believe that there was this, this recognition that he knew that the God that Daniel prayed to was listening. And it was almost like, hey, I'm not going to directly say anything, but, but hey, God that, that he's praying to, would you mind just saving Daniel? Because I love him and he's really good for business. So could you save this guy? A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the, and the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And when the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of the dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And there, I'm sure, as he waited for a response, his heart probably stopped. And finally, in verse 21, it says, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. May God send his angels and he shut, God, my God send his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I, have, I was found innocent in his sight. Now have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty? I want to pause there for just a moment because this is important to note. Daniel's name actually means only God judges me. God brought forth the real justice that was necessary. Seeing his person, seeing a man after his own heart who for no reason of his own, for no purpose of his own, for no crime of his own, was thrown into the lion's den and, and, and sent to, to a place where he was going to die. And God said, you know what? Me, the one true judge, I'm not going to let that happen. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of, out of the den and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he, was trust, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, uh, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote on all the nations and all the peoples of every language and all the earth, may you, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. It's amazing what happens when we say yes to God, get out of the way and let him do it, right? For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow. Now that is, a, that is an opportunity for us to, to praise God in and of himself. To say, thank you, God, for the way that you provide, the way that you save, the way that you engage in our lives. Daniel's innocence and his righteousness are the key to his deliverance in the lion's den. And at the same time, it's what brought forth a, 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 a rough conclusion to those who had wrongfully accused him. 
Verse 23 talks about how he trusted God and that the lions that were ravishly hun- hungry, they, they were so hungry that when the others were thrown in there, they, they were destroyed before they hit the ground. They were so hungry, their mouths were shut. They were no obstacle to God. May I ask just this rhetorical question, what obstacles stand in your way right now that have become roarous lions in your life? Can I just say to our God, they're no obstacle. And perhaps simply in this moment, what he's saying is hand that over to me. Give me that thing. Be faithful to me. I will take care of it. Maybe not in our timing, maybe not in our way, but in his. Daniel's faith is what saved his life. And underneath this specific God redeems portion of the journey, Daniel trusted in his God. First and foremost, he trusted in the God who spared him, the God who loved him. And then God spared Daniel's life and restored him. Daniel trusted in his God and then God spared Daniel's life and restored him. Now, I don't want you to hear this wrong because I think what could happen if we read this is we kind of get that happily ever after moment, right? Like, okay, everything is perfect. God worked everything out. Daniel's good. He, he, he reigned and he did well and everybody was happy with him. But let me just tell you, life doesn't always happen that way. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. What we can recognize is the fact that once again, when we have an eternal perspective, we follow God, we allow him to be Lord and Savior of our life, we follow him in all aspects, regardless of what happens here on this earth, he will redeem all things when we pass from this life. In fact, I spoke with someone just this week who lost a loved one, and and we prayed for healing uh, time and time again, and they finally, this is the person said to me, for their loved one they passed, they finally received healing. Because that's what happens when we pass from this life. If God chooses to heal us here physically in our mortal bodies, okay. But if he chooses to take us home and then at that point receive our healing, that is the mo- that's the moment to celebrate. The implication is God rescues and he saves. God rescues and he saves. Verse 27, he rescues and he saves. So here's the the benediction. I'm going to give it to you first, and then I'm going to pray, and then I I do have one more thing I I, I want to do before we leave, so don't run off just yet. The benediction is a question and a response. Does your life reflect that of Daniel's actions and attitude? Does your life reflect the the actions and the attitude, the, the, the sacrificial action of thanksgiving that Daniel had where he was willing to give it all? And then the second part is this, praise God with consistent thanksgiving and live obediently towards him. Now, sometimes I think that we complicate things. We complicate the gospel or we complicate what God asks of us. In many cases, it's simply just the request of looking to him first, of saying yes when he calls, of being thankful and obedient in all aspects, in all regards in life. And so when you go from this place, let me just say, now I know that uh, you, we're going to be going all different ways. Some of you have uh, work afterwards. You've got to study for a, a test or something that's coming up. Maybe you're going to be with family or you, you've got other things going on. Let me just say this. May this be a ponderable moment and then a conversation piece. Meaning this, ponder your life. Think about your life. Would, would there be people, if you were in Daniel's shoes, would there be people that would say, man, This person is so sold out for that God, there is no way that we could get him. No way, honestly, at least. 
At the same time, the response to that would be this. Spend some time this week in conversation, but also, and not just with others, but also with God, asking, reflecting upon, God, am I truly being obedient? Am I open? Am I listening? Am I being thankful through even sacrifice in my life in every area of my life? And if he says no, respond. And if he says yes, continue on. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.